Well, good morning, Church of the Apostles. Good to be with you. Uh, my name is Alex Farmer. I am your new bishop as of about, I keep saying six weeks. I think, I'm, I think I've been all of seven weeks now. I think I'm, I'm actually into my seventh week as a bishop. So I'm not old hat at any of this stuff, but, uh, but it's so good to be with you. I've known some of your clergy for quite a while, and, uh, and Robert and Mark have been good friends to me over the years, and uh, we have enjoyed fellowship. Uh, now I'm getting to know other clergy like Dan and Susan and, and Gabe and uh, Taylor. I've gotten to know over the few years and just appreciate not only the way your clergy serve you faithfully, but also... Just so you know, they also faithfully serve this diocese and have given... Formerly, Robert was dean of this deanery, and, and uh, Mark has served on the ordination preparation team as the, as the leader of the ordination pre- on the staff of the diocese, and it just goes on and on. Gabe and, and Taylor working with youth ministry in, in the diocese, Camp Araminta, and I think we've got some Camp Araminta uh, folks here. I've, I've met at least the parents of some Camp Araminta kids, and so I, I think I see a couple of faces that might be Araminta. So thank you so much, you guys, for the way you serve. But you've, you've kept the best for last, and I didn't get to know the people of Church of the Apostles. So great to be with you today. Well, I could easily launch into a great um, expository look at that Second Timothy passage uh, as a new bishop, there are, there is lots that's there, right? You know, um, Alexander the coppersmith. I'd love to talk about that guy for a little while, right? And some other people there. But I'm going to resist that temptation because I don't I don't think that would be as applicable to you as it would be applicable to me. So I've been studying that on my own. But I want to look with you at our gospel passage that that we heard Susan read a moment ago. This well known parable of the of the these two characters right the the pharisee and the tax collector in the old king james the the publican uh which who knows you know no one knows what that means but we know what a tax collector is and here are these two guys and we have before us this this familiar story of the two of them at prayer and we really get uh, an inside look at their prayer life as jesus tells this this parable he he examines for us what the motivation of their prayer life is. I want to say to you that that's, that's an important place to begin. I also want to suggest that even if you've heard this parable read and you know it, it's not very long, that perhaps it also has a word to us as the church for today. So that's the two things I want to, to think about with you for a few minutes this morning. First of all, just to be completely transparent, I, if, I, if you ask me which of these characters do you identify with, I would tell you I identify with both of them. It's not just the, not just the tax collector or the Pharisee, but in fact, both of them that I can relate to. Um, I grew up in the church, um, first over in, in Atlanta and then in Jacksonville, and grew up uh, in, a, in a, a Baptist context. I was a Pharisee. I don't mean to say that I wore the little head frontal and the whole hair, you know, the hair thing and everything. But, you know, I was a Baptist Pharisee. I, I kept the letter of the law. You know, um, I said this at early service. Um, I, you know, I didn't drink and smoke and chew and go with girls that do, right? So I, I, I had all those things figured out and thought I was a pretty good guy. And to the extent that, that you know, some of the parents in the congregation would say, I hope my child grows up to be, you know, a, a godly young person like you. 
And, and I had that reputation in my congregation. Um, the reality was, and, and those of you that are, that are recovering Pharisees know this, the reality is that there's the public persona of who we are, and then there's the reality of who we are in our heart. And we know ourselves, which is why for me, the gospel was easy for me to hear because I knew I had tried to be as good as I possibly could be, and yet knew the, the darkness of my own heart, knew the knew the sin of my own life, knew that I was just too, too smart to actually go and do those things and get caught. But I had thoughts that were scandalous. And so when the gospel came to me, yes, I believe that there is a God who knows me better than anyone else, and yet, despite that, loves me. Which is why I can also say I identify with the tax collector, who comes to a point of saying, I, Lord, I throw myself on your mercy. Uh, I'm painfully aware that if people knew me as I truly am, they would reject me. They would think I was a horrible person, and I can't believe you would think those things. And so there's that sense in which I came to the gospel as a 15-year-old saying, yes, Lord, I, I, I desperately need you. They don't know that I need you. The people at church don't know I need you. But I do desperately, I need you to come into my life to forgive me, to cleanse me, and to make me new. And by the grace of God, I can tell you that the Lord did that for me. He brought me into a new relationship with him, and I began to live that, that life out. Still a recovering Pharisee at times, but increasingly more the spirit of the, of the tax collector, falling on the mercy of God. As I've studied the, the lives of um, great saints, I find that that's, that's true for them, that they, they come to a point of recognizing that even their most righteous acts are tainted. Uh, our best efforts to be good are always tainted with selfish desires or some ways that we are, that we are self-serving. Well, as I said, the parable is really a parable about prayer. It's, it's Jesus telling a story about the inner workings of our prayer life. There was a parable right before this one. It was about the, the righteous widow that, that keeps persistently asking the judge to, to meet her needs. And Jesus is teaching in that, that we should be persistent in our prayers, that we should, we should not give up. We should have faith to believe and keep praying. In this parable today, Jesus is reve revealing that it oftentimes it is the motivation behind what we pray that in fact reveals our true heart. As I've grown as a Christian, I've become to realize that, that, that in a sense, how I understand myself really does affect how I understand God. And this, this Pharisee has a warped understanding of themselves, don't they? They fast and go on about fasting and giving. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's, it's, it's good to give of our material possessions. It helps them not to have a, a grip on our heart by giving away some of our material wealth. It's, it's good to tithe. It's good to fast. It's good to, to, to deny ourselves some things, to remind ourselves of how those earthly pleasures, those things we do, can oftentimes grip our hearts. That's a, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself with a Lenten moment there, but, but there's nothing wrong with those things. But this Pharisee has, the motivation is wrong. First of all, there was nothing in Judaism that required you to fast twice a week. Once a year is actually what the law required. And so this person was going well beyond that. And they were tithing down to the, to the nth degree everything that they had, something that the law actually didn't require as well. But 
And those aren't bad in themselves. Offer to God as an act of piety. But for this Pharisee, they became a way to self-justify, right? They became a way for them to turn away from the Lord and to themselves. I don't know if you caught it, but in the parable, Jesus says that, that one time the Pharisee cries out to God, says something to God, but five times the, the pronoun I is used. So God, I, 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 right? And, and the, the prayer is completely self-focused. It's completely set on who they are and who they know themselves to be before God in such a way that they would be justified before God in and of themselves. It's an attempt to justify by comparison. I'm better than all these people. I'm definitely better than that tax collector at the back of the room. And so I must be a good person because I know some really bad people, right? And I'm better than all of them. It's God, it's an attempt to say that God somehow grades on a curve, right? You know, I was the guy that was just praying that nobody made the A so that we would all get, you know, our, our grades bumped up a little bit in school. That was sort of my educational attempt. Um, you may not know this, but I had a heart attack um, a few months ago. Um, I was elected bishop on the 15th of May and uh, on June 28th, before I became bishop, before I was consecrated, I had a heart attack. Um, had nothing to do with getting elected bishop. I wasn't stressed out at that time at all. As a matter of fact, I was out doing yard work and the Lord really said, you need to put down your tools and go to the, go to the emergency room. And I did. And they said, you're having a heart attack. You know, short story, I, I had four stents put in. I'm doing good. Um, I'm on medication. Praise God for living in 2022. And it's all good there. But here's the reason I bring it up to you today is to say that in that moment, I found myself wanting to compare myself to other people. And I was not happy with the Lord because I looked around and I said, Lord, I have friends that drink bourbon and smoke cigars and eat terribly and don't exercise near as much as I do. And those guys are, are happy and, and fine. And I'm the one having the heart attack. And it just seems so terribly unfair because I was trying to compare myself. It reminds me in the end of the Gospels where uh, Peter is walking along with John, the disciple John, and as well as Jesus. And Peter's saying, well, what about him, Lord? What are you going to do with John? What's his fate, you know? And basically, Peter, Jesus says to Peter, look, you worry about you. Don't worry about John. Whatever I have to do, want to do in his life, that's okay. But you focus on yourself. And boy, that's such a helpful word for me. And it was the moment of my heart attack to be able to say, I'm not going to focus on the other people. I'm going to, whatever you're doing in my life, Lord, I want to be open to it. If you want me to begin being the bishop of this diocese in a hospital bed, so be it. But that human tendency to compare ourselves is always present. And it was for that Pharisee. Nothing wrong with fasting and giving, nothing wrong with, with wanting to serve the Lord, but, but what does your prayer life reveal? Are you like that person that goes to the doctor and, and spouts off all your illnesses, but doesn't really have time to hear what the doctor has to say? You just want them to know your situation, where you are, and all those things. Or are you open to hearing from the Lord? 
how the physician would bring healing to you. What is the prayer life, your prayer life like this morning? When we turn to the tax collector, we see a very different attitude, don't we? And those of you like me who are recovering Pharisees go, well, of course, because this guy really messed up. He's a, he's a, he's a tax guy. He's the, he's the G-man. He's the bad guy. He's conspiring with the enemy to bring, if you will, an extra tax on the people because you basically bought the, the franchise to be able to tax the people and then to take your cut off the top. But it's in this tax collector's prayer, is he, is he head down in humility, Jesus says, cries out to God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. In his words, we hear the heart of the gospel, that each of us who comes to God must come on bended knee in humility, recognizing that even our best attempts at righteousness are, as the Scripture says, as filthy rags, that we can't come bragging before God of all of our good deeds and righteous actions. We come as a beggar asking God for mercy. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 6 cries out, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the glory of God. And he's undone. But it's in that moment that Isaiah receives mercy. The, remember, the coal is placed upon his tongue. This, this tax collector becomes the hero of the story. Now, a parable for Jesus and a parable in the ancient world, they were like a good joke. They have a, a punchline that is a twist. You don't expect it. And nobody listening to that, that parable that Jesus is telling possibly thinks that somehow this tax collector is going to be the hero, and yet that is exactly who the hero, the, the righteous person. He says, this man goes home justified, not the Pharisee. But it has nothing to do with his actions, his merit. It has everything to do with the fact that he's falling upon the mercy of God. Beginning of our liturgy, we say, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are kept. So we cry out, Lord, have mercy. We're crying out the very thing that this tax collector is crying out. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, when we recognize the, the magnitude of our sin, the magnitude of God's mercy and grace becomes elevated as well. If we don't think we have much of a sin problem, then we don't think we have much of a Savior. But if we allow the Lord to reveal to us how brokenness, how even our righteous acts are, are, are desperately falling short, then we, we recognize how great the majesty and the glory of God's grace and mercy are to us. The tax collector becomes the hero because he falls upon God's mercy and grace he becomes the good guy, not because of what he does, but because of in whom he puts his trust. At the end of the day, it's about deciding whether or not we're going to try to do it on our own or we're going to surrender to God's mercy and grace. My son is now 30. We have three children. My wife, Jody, have three children, 30, 28, and 26. But when my son was, was a little guy, uh, he was about two years old, 
I would take him to the park and we would play and he loved to go on the slides and he was always wanting big adventures and so he wanted to go up the big slide. It was, I don't know, it's so crazy now. It, everything's about perspective, but when you, have a, when you have a two-year-old, you know, them climbing 15 steps to a big slide and going down just seems like monumental, so, right? I mean, it's just crazy how, how life changes over. But I remember my son turning around to me and he, he looked at me and he said, Daddy, I do, it alone. I do it alone. I do it myself. I go myself or something like, you know, whatever they, how they say it at two years old, you know. And in that moment, I, I realized, boy, that, that is the problem, isn't it, for us? I, I didn't preach the sermon to him, by the way, but, but I, just, I was like, this is the problem. We, we want to do it on our own. We, we, we don't want God's help. <laughs> we want to do it on our own. And so this Pharisee, he's, he's standing there trying to recite to God, a holy God, here are the reasons why I'm righteous. It's pride. And each of us gets to wake up every morning and decide, will this be a day that I try to justify myself to other people and to the Lord? Or will this be a day that I begin by saying, I fall on your mercy? That's... That's our decision. If you're here this morning and you think that there's no way your sin can be forgiven, that you've done too many things that God could not possibly give you grace because of what you've willingly done in your life, hear the testimony of the tax collector. And remember, this is a parable Jesus is telling. Jesus says, that man, though he had many sins, went home justified because he fell on the mercy of God. Not the Pharisee who had much on his resume. Now, last word before I'm done. I wonder this morning if there's not a word for the church here today. Can I just say to you, you guys don't know me very well, but take, take Mark and, and Robert's word for it, that I'm an okay guy. Can I just say a word to the church today? I believe that we are in a cultural time where there are many unbelievers outside the church who look at us as the church and they see us as that self-righteous Pharisee. Could you, could you hear that from me? They see us as that self-righteous Pharisee, picking and choosing which sins we think we've done a good job of not committing and reciting before the world all of our righteous acts. And they hold us in contempt. And they actually think that they are more righteous than us. Okay? But here's the bait. The bait is to take that temptation and try to justify yourself. And it seems to me like what's going on in our culture right now is that we've got different people on different sides of different issues all trying to shout each other down and prove that the other one is more righteous. And that's the bait. Rather than being like the tax collector and falling on the mercy of God. In the face of arguments of who's righteous and who's, you know, what if we as the church confessed our sin and proclaimed the gospel? That, yeah, we're a bunch of tax collectors who've received mercy upon mercy and grace upon grace. 
rather than debating like the Pharisees over who's righteous and who's not. Last, just sort of observation, we don't have time to look at it, but the psalm that you heard beautifully played, the refrain and the spoken today, that psalm from uh, Psalm 84 is such a, a, a contrasting picture from this Pharisee. The Pharisee stands alone in the temple and proclaims their own righteousness. The psalmist in Psalm 84 proclaims how good it is to be in the Lord's house. The psalmist is about him, the Lord, not me. The Pharisee, about me and not the Lord. The psalmist cries out about we, how good it is to be in the house of the Lord, to be included. Better to be a doorkeeper in his house than to be with the wicked. And yet, the Pharisee speaks about themselves. It's such a contrasting picture the Pharisee alone, the psalmist proclaiming in the community of faith the righteousness of our God and our King. Paul says, I stood alone, but yet not alone. The Lord stood with me. Oh, friends, this is the gospel we proclaim. This is the life we get to live, living out the mercy and grace of God and offering that gospel message to the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.